Well, knowing what's right doesn't mean much unless you do what is right. Theodore Roosevelt. So several years ago, it was late in the afternoon. I was about to start cooking dinner. Um, my three young kids are downstairs. Um, and it had been a while since I had checked on them. So I thought before I dive into cooking dinner, let me go see what they are up to. And so I walk down the stairs, and as I open the door to our basement, I see one of our kids quickly hide something under a pillow. Now we know that when that happens, we're thinking, what are they hiding from us? So my kids know that it is a rule in our house that there's no more snacking after about 3 o'clock, because if I'm going to go through the effort of cooking dinner, I want to make sure that they eat it. So anyway, I go over to my child, and I ask her to lift up the pillow so I can see what's underneath. And as she does, I see a pile of candy mixed in with some empty candy wrappers. So she had been enjoying a nice candy appetizer to dinner that night. So she knew, my daughter knew the right thing to do, yet she failed to do it. Again, knowing what's right doesn't mean much unless you do what is right. Now that's parenting. We spend those early years of our kids' lives teaching them what is right. We try to help them know the right decisions to make, the right way to behave, and then we just pray and hope that when they are not in, their, in our presence, that they will do the right thing and make the right choice. But if we are honest today, this isn't just a kid issue, because adults struggle with this as well. We all know that we should floss, yet statistics show that less than half of us do that on a regular basis. We also know we should eat right and exercise if we want to be healthy, and some of us ignore that. We also know how important it is to get a good night's sleep yet many of us stay up way too late scrolling through social media or binge-watching our favorite TV shows. And I think this idea of knowing what's right but not doing what's right also carries out in our spiritual lives as well. And so today we are going to explore this idea between this relationship between belief and behavior. And I hope at the end of our time together, I will be able to show you what's at stake when this belief is not accompanied by behavior. In fact, if our belief is not accompanied by behavior, it may not be the authentic faith that God desires for each one of us. Uh, Carter was so sweet to introduce me. Um, I am Melissa Sanderson. I have had the privilege of growing up here at Mount Top. Started attending when I was just 14. I've been here for the last 28 years. So it is a pleasure to get to share with you guys this morning. <laughs> so Carter also mentioned that we are starting a brand new series today in the book of James called Hardball. And it is because it is hard. James is challenging, but these challenges give us opportunities to grow. So seven years ago, um, my family is gathered for Thanksgiving. Um, my two sisters are in town from Georgia. And my younger sister asks if me and my older sister want to run a half marathon. So my first thought was, 
Absolutely not. <laughs> I had grown up playing soccer. I played soccer in college, so my memories of running are sprints and long distance to stay in shape, and that was not my favorite part of playing soccer. But I'm also a competitive person. So at this point in my life, I probably had run, when I just go out to run, probably four miles was the most I had ever run, maybe more on the soccer field. Um, so I thought, you know, this would be a challenge for me to go from running four miles to 13.1. And so I agreed. And I began my training. I started out slow, just running those short runs, and then they became longer runs. And then I had an idea of I don't just want to complete it, but maybe I want to set a goal to try to run it in less than two hours. So then I was like, you know what, to help me get there, I'm also going to implement this workout called Insanity. And so I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but yes, every time I finished and completed it, it, it I did feel insane. Um, but I did all that training. I worked for months, and then came race day. And I'm happy to say that I was able to complete the race in one hour, 59 minutes, and some seconds. <laughs> now, the only thing, my competitive side, was I did see my older sister finish just ahead of me. And... Um, I don't think she trained as much as me, but that's okay. Um, I did, I loved seeing the growth that happened over those months, and it was hard, and it was challenging, and that's what I feel like James is going to ask us to do today. He does not want us to stay where we are on our spiritual journey. He has something more in mind for each of us if we will put in the work and accept his tough love. So who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus and the oldest of his siblings. Matthew tells us that um, James had, or Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters, and they all grew up in the small town of Nazareth. And most likely, they grew up in a one-story house, meaning James had an upfront seat, a front-row seat to Jesus' life. Can you imagine growing up with the Son of God? And yet there James was, seeing Jesus um, grow up. And yet in John 7, 5, it says, even his own brothers did not believe in him. James doubted who Jesus was. And I love that in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that uh, I believe Jesus understood this doubting. And so Jesus made a special appearance to James. He wanted to reveal to James who he was. And I can just imagine James um, really clicking, everything clicking that day, all the pieces falling into place. He understands who Jesus is. He understands that Jesus has a purpose for him, and it's a purpose that he has planned for James since the beginning of time. James went from being a doubter to this great leader, and that's who we see as we start looking into this letter. So James starts his letter to the Jewish Christians, and he lets them know that they are going to face trials. Now, the trials that they were facing are not like trials that many of us in this room will have to face. People were being arrested and killed for their faith in Jesus Many of them were extremely poor and being oppressed by the rich. But James said that these trials would help them become the true followers of Jesus that he longs for them to become. 
And these trials would help serve as a backdrop to determine whether or not their faith was truly authentic. In other words, in hard times, in real life, do we simply believe or is our belief accompanied by our actions, our behavior? And is our behavior so exceptional that it testifies to that belief that people know what we believe? That's where I want to dive into scripture today a little bit deeper into James 1.22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So I want to start with that first part. Do not merely listen to the word. So back in James, when James wrote this, not many people could read. So their way to learn scripture was to listen. And so they would listen um, and, and that was their way to learn. But for us in this room, yes, we have the opportunity to listen to God and listen to Scripture when we come here on a Sunday morning. But we also get the opportunity to read it. And many of us have access to Scripture. We have the Bible app maybe on our phone that we can access anytime and anywhere. Research shows that most of us in this room have at least four Bibles in our house. And this is an important step. This is step one. We need to be listening to God's word. We need to be reading God's word and in his presence. Otherwise, we don't know how Jesus wants us to live. In the next verses, it says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and immediately after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I believe when we're just reading or quickly listening to God's word, it's like, and we don't have plans to do anything else with it, it's like we're just glancing in a mirror. Now that sounds like a ridiculous metaphor, but just last week I was getting ready for work, looked in the mirror quickly, left, and about halfway through the day I realized I had a huge stain on my shirt. Now, I would have never left the house had I taken a little bit more time to look in the mirror and notice that that stain was on my shirt. But that's what happens when we just glance into the mirror. We miss things. And that's what happens when we just glance into God's word. We miss things. So what does that look like? What does it look like just to glance into God's word? Well, for me, I think it is sitting in here on a Sunday morning and it's listening to the person up here and thinking, man, that was a great message. But then I walk out those doors and two hours later, I forget what was even taught. Or maybe it's when I'm in my time in the morning with God reading scripture and I'm like, man, that was a great passage. But then I have no intention of actually putting it into action I believe God wants us not just to glance into God's word, but to gaze into his word. So what does that look like? What does it look like to gaze into God's word? James gives us clues in the next verse. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I love the word intently in those verses. It means to look with eager and earnest attention. And so again, I had to go back and ask myself, 
When I'm in here on a Sunday morning, am I listening with eager and earnest attention to what God is calling me to? Am I listening for the Holy Spirit to tell me an action or a behavior that maybe I need to change? Or what about when I'm in Scripture, my time alone with God? Am I reading it with eager and earnest attention, trying to figure out maybe what needs to change in my life? So one thing that has helped me over the years to look into Scripture this way with eager and earnest attention is to ask myself a question. And this question is, what is it that you want me to do because of what I just read or maybe what I just heard? So in other words, what action do you want me to take? What behavior might I need to change? And then I try to write it down in my journal and I'll try to visit that on a weekly basis and am I doing what I said I was gonna do? So practically, what might this look like? So if I were to read, love your neighbor as yourself, I have to ask myself, who are the neighbors in my life? Because they are real people with names. So who is it, God, that needs to experience your love? And usually when I pray that prayer, he reveals a name to me. Maybe it's someone that I need to text and check up on. Or maybe I need to pick up the phone and call someone. Or maybe I need to show up at someone's workplace and ask how they're doing. And I'll write that in my journal, and I'll make sure I go back and see, am I doing that? Or maybe, it, maybe I read, love is patient. I might write down in my journal, be patient with your kids this week. And that is hard. But the way that I am patient with them will give them a picture of God's love. So how am I doing in that? Or maybe I read something about being generous. And I have to ask myself, maybe I know somebody that's about to move. And I'd rather sit on my couch on a Saturday and do my own thing. But maybe God's calling me to be generous with my time and go help that person. Or maybe I hear of an opportunity to give. Am I using my resources to help that person? Again, I would write that down and see how I'm doing on a weekly basis. Here's the truth. When we look into scripture, when we gaze into it, when we look with eager and earnest attention, God will always remind us of his love for us. But he will also reveal some harder revelations. He may reveal to you a pattern of sin that he wants you to stop because he knows there is something better for you in this life. He has greater plans and purposes for you. Or maybe he reveals that your harsh words and your anger are hurting those people around you. Or maybe he will reveal that you're being selfish with the time and the gifts and the talents that he gave you. They are gifts from him and are you using them for his kingdom purposes? But my prayer is that when we realize these harder revelations, when he reveals those to us, I pray that we can remember that bigger picture. Man, that God loves you so much. And his end goal is to make you more and more like his son. He believes there's more in you. He believes that you have more to offer. He wants you to become more and more like his son, Jesus. But it is a process just like the marathon took months of training, this is a lifelong process of going to the mirror. And that's why it says continue in it in that verse. Because we have to continue in it. And then that is where the blessing comes when we become more and more like his son. The, the blessing comes in the doing and not just in the hearing. 
Does that mean that we have to be perfect? No, it does not. This is so important to our individual lives that we are becoming more and more like Jesus because that's his desire for us. But in my world, I see even more at stake. There are kids and students who are looking to us to see if we really believe what we say we believe. They are looking not just to hear it, but they want to see it lived out in us. Right now, half, over half of students are leaving the American church when they turn 18. And I'm not satisfied with that, and I hope that you guys aren't either. Russell Moore, former dean of the School of Theology at Southern Theological Seminary, says this. We now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. They see hearers, but not doers. So just to unpack that quote a little bit more, right now in kids' ministry downstairs, we are teaching the fruit of the Spirit. And yes, we would love for the kids to be able to name all the fruit of the Spirit. But what does it matter if we are not living it out? If they can't see that we even care about the fruit of the Spirit. They want to see people who are loving and kind and good and faithful and peaceful. That's what they are looking for, not that we can just name them off. But here is the good news. This Gen Z, these 10 to 25-year-olds, research shows that they are open to Jesus. They have a positive perception of them, but they need guides. They need people to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And not just on a Sunday, they want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. They want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus as a doctor or a plumber or a teacher. They want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus as a mom or a dad. They are hungry for that. And whether we know it or not, our actions are mentoring the next generation. And they are looking for James 1, 22 followers. Simply, people will see what you believe by how you behave. Now, we don't have to be perfect because they are looking for authentic believers. They want to know what does it look like to follow Jesus when life is really hard or when you are making a hard life decision. Can you do that while still following Jesus? That's what they're looking for. So parents, I have a question for you. What do your kids think you believe by how you behave? Do they see parents who love God and love others? Do they see parents who are quick to listen and slow to speak? Do they see parents who are living out those fruit of the Spirit? Do they see parents who are spiritually mature in the face of trials? Grandparents, what about you? What do your grandkids think you believe by how you behave? Mountaintop, what does the next generation think you believe by how you behave? 
Well, I am thrilled to introduce to you guys a friend, and her behavior is such a testimony to what she believes. She has gone through this process that we talked about today. So, Nicole, you can come on up. And I want to let you guys hear a little bit more of her story. So, Nicole, I'm going to let you introduce everybody here um, let them know a little bit more about you and how long you've been at Mountaintop. Uh, so I am Nicole Royer, and um, I have been at Mountaintop about 11 years now. And um, I grew up in upstate New York, um, not a believer, <laughs> um, and just no influence of um, God or Jesus or any kind of spiritual influence in my life at that time. And what do you do during the week? I am a pediatric occupational therapist. Um, and so I work with children who are birthed to five years old. And we help them um, be as independent as they can be in terms of their age group. Um, and then we train parents and caregivers to be able to carry that out throughout um, the in-between time of when we are either at their house or they come to the clinic, depending on which program you're in. Um, and uh, just help these kids to grow and meet their milestones as best as they can. Awesome. So what I want you guys to hear, what I want you to share with them, Nicole, is kind of this journey. You felt like God was working in your life and calling you to something a little bit more. And he took you on a journey through that. So I just want you to share that journey with everybody here. Uh, yes, so he has taken me on a really long journey um, these 10 years in Mountaintop. Um, he has pushed me to serve in lots of different areas, um, to lead in lots of different areas. Um, most recently, I started, was kind of being pulled towards mission trips. And so um, I went on several mission trips and really felt like it was a great experience. And I definitely learned a lot and grew a lot and was able to have influence in both directions there, but it, it wasn't quite the fit that I felt like I was being called to in terms of long-term and my purpose for being here. Um, so I kind of merged from that into I um, started thinking about adoption again and kind of some different things, and I just wasn't really feeling quite led for adoption. And then um, in, in my field of work, adoption and foster care is very prominent. And so um, I really started thinking about some foster care stuff and COVID hit and um, that really just, you know, stopped the world. And so um, I'm single, I live by myself. And so it really gave me an opportunity to sit down and truly reflect and read and listen to what God was really calling me to. Um, and then that just really reaffirmed um, foster care um, a lot during those COVID times. And all of my commitments were pretty much on hold. And so I had a lot of extra time to be able to really read and listen and um, kind of figure out what, what specifically was God calling me to do long term. And so I filled out the paperwork and took all the classes. And um, it's been less than a year, and I've had three kids already. <laughs> <laughs> so what I love, yes. And you faced some challenges in this process, because I think you even shared with me that there was, you were worried a little bit about telling people 
of this journey because you didn't know what they would think being a single person adopting, you know, going through, I'm sorry, the foster process, but you still did it. Um, and you maybe faced some challenge, but also some things that did go well. So maybe just share a little of that. Yeah, uh, there were definitely some challenges and definitely a lot of doubt. Um, again, I'm single and live by myself and my family is in upstate New York. And so um, while I have tons of friends and work friends that would definitely be a community of support, um, that was a big doubt in my brain was how in the world am I gonna support a child? Um, but I just really kind of felt really called to do it. And so um, I didn't tell anybody I was doing this um, except for the people I had to put down as references um, until I was all the way complete. Um, and um, that was really because I just felt so called to it and I didn't, I didn't wanna deal with more doubts and I didn't want to deal with any of the negativeness and the questions of even if they were meant to be positive but I didn't want to deal with well how are you going to do that and you don't have support here and just all of that and so that was definitely a huge challenge um, but I just really just kept praying through it and God just kept reaffirming every step of the way this this is what you're called to do and I'm going to make it happen for you and don't worry about it, which is hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So the most rewarding thing out of that? Process. Yeah, the most rewarding thing has really been to see these kids just blossom. Um, they come from completely broken system and completely broken backgrounds of all different kinds. Um, and just being able to follow through with God's calling and bring these kids into a loving, supportive, not just home, but community. And Mountaintop's been such a huge part of that. Um, all three of the kids that I have had have come here, um, and it's just been great to watch them all just blossom um, as young as they are, but um, just blossom in every step of the way and just really flourish through everything. That's awesome. Can you all thank Nicole for coming up here and sharing her story? Thank you, Nicole. So what I love about Nicole's story is that she put in the hard work, that she took that time she d described during COVID where she was seeking, God, what is it that you want me to do? And then she did it. She put it into action. She did the hard work. She did the classes. Now, all of us in this room are not called to be foster parents, and I know that. But what my prayer is for us is that we will also go through that process where we continue to ask God what might need to change in my life to be in his word, to be here on Sunday mornings, and continue to ask what might need to change in my life, what behaviors may need to change for me to become the fully devoted follower of Jesus that you desire for me to, to be. And I believe that when we continue to look in the mirror, we are going to see less and less of ourselves, and we're going to see more and more of Jesus in that mirror. And what a beautiful picture, because the world needs to see Jesus reflected in us. And here's the truth. People may not know what you believe, and they really might not care. But the thing to remember is people will see what you believe by how you behave. And my prayer for us is that we at Mountaintop will behave in such a way to show the next generation and the world that Jesus is worth following. And maybe, just maybe, they will want to follow him too.
Let's pray. God, I pray for every person in this room and watching online, Lord, that we will be people who put in the hard work of becoming like you, that we will spend time in scripture, that we will be in church knowing how you want us to live and asking ourselves, what do you want us to do because of what we just read? What do you want me to do because of what I just heard? And God, that our behavior would just show the world that you are a God worth following. God, help us to be that kind of people at Mountaintop. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.